You're thinking, now what's the appropriate response to that? They're singing about a devil inside a church. Do I clap? Do I gasp? I'm not sure what the appropriate response is. I remember when that song came out, I was in high school, and it really speaks to this idea, there's something in me and in you that we don't want anyone else to know about. The devil version of myself. We might say the dark version of myself. My secret self. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I felt that. We'll even say it like this. I'm really having to face or fight some demons in my life. There's this reality that there's a darker version of us. There's a, a, an evil version of us that's more fearful than we want to admit, more worried than we want to admit, more addicted to other people's approval than we want to admit, gets angrier than we'd ever want to admit. In our series Plotline, we're looking at different books that bring out realities, these classic timeless stories that bring out our ultimate story. And no book does that better than Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde proposes that there is a devil, a Mr. Hyde, in all of us. And though we may try and hide the hide, it's there, lurking. Given the right circumstance, given the right tension point, given the right argument, it comes out of us. In case you didn't read the book, or in case you don't remember the book, we thought we'd start with a retelling of the book, and then we're going to dive in that what we can learn from this book that speaks to deeper truths in all of our lives. Let's watch. Today in our Plotline series, we are studying the famous novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, by Robert Louis Stevenson. The origins of this story are as fascinating as its content. The author is said to have conceived the plot in a fever dream, and the depths of its themes points to the very nature of humankind, the ongoing struggle of good versus evil. So, let's revisit the plot of... Sorry, I'm late. I stopped at the costume shop. (laughs) I can see that. Explain. Well, today we're talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I thought we could use some visual aids. Uh, And... Well, they didn't have a Mr. Hyde outfit, but they had the Incredible Hulk, and I figured it's basically the same story. Mad scientist experiments on the human body, ends up experimenting on himself, shatters human chemistry and physiology, creating a monster that solves crime. They both end up joining the Avengers. They battle Loki, the uh, god of mischief, son of Odin, brother of Thor, and the holder of the scepter of Tesseract. By the way, have you seen the movie Ragnarok? Ragnarok. Ragnarok. It's kind of fun to say, actually. Chad. Yes. I think you're a little off topic. Sorry. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about the Hulk. No, no. I was talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, But I'll tell you what, let me read the summary and we can talk about uh, Ragnarok in a minute. Cool. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson begins with a conversation between the stately gentleman, lawyer Dr. Utterson, and his cousin Enfield, a connected man about town. They are remarking on the recent events involving the death of a young girl who was trampled by a strange man named Mr. Hyde. Enfield witnessed the crime and pressed Hyde to compensate the family for their loss. The family receives a check from Dr. Jekyll, a prominent and well-regarded member of the community. Puny human! Me read summary! Oh, 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 yes! 
Dr. Jekyll made potion to cure evil urges, but make him into a monster like Hulk. Named Mr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde become more and more out of control. Jekyll, try harder and harder with potion. Finally, he take Kane from Jekyll, and he killed someone. Jekyll can't control when he turn into Mr. Hyde. I'm beginning to think you can't control yourself. Increasingly, Dr. Jekyll struggles to control the monster within... Like Hulk. ...and confides in a friend and colleague, Dr. Lanyon, about his failed experiment and the evil split personality that's been unleashed. When Lanyon witnesses Jekyll's transformation into Hyde, he dies from shock. Meanwhile, Harrison and Enfield are trying to get to the bottom of the mystery, not realizing that Jekyll and Hyde are one in the same. Don't mind me. Hudson goes to visit his friend Dr. Jekyll, but Jekyll's butler, Mr. Poole, tells him that the good doctor is unavailable. In fact, he's been secluded in his laboratory for weeks, refusing visitors. Not getting an answer to their knocks, Hudson and the butler break down the door and find only Mr. Hyde, dead from suicide and wearing Jekyll's clothes. In the room are two letters which explain the mystery of the last few months and Dr. Jekyll struggles to contain his murderous alter ego. Chad, uh, do you have anything you want to add? Yes. Well, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, is a metaphor for the human experience. We all have a dark, evil version of ourselves that we like to pretend isn't that bad. So we put on the heroic front, pretend we're not as bad as we are. We look good on the outside. Ding. On the other hand, we always turn back and come back to our old sinful self, just like Thor's hammer returns to him. On the other hand, we often try to aim to do the right thing. We try and get rid of guilt and shame. But at the end of the day, despite our attempts, we end up realizing we all need a hero, bigger and better than ourselves, to rescue us from the darker version of ourselves. Yes, something like that. <laughs> so, now can we talk about Ragnarok? No. It was interesting, if you haven't read that particular... Uh, book before, or heard that song before, the book is written by uh, Stevenson, Louis Stevenson, and I think what was so striking about that book is how it grabs so many people's attention, in the sense of saying, well, that really talks about me, I feel this duality in me, this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde version of myself, and when he wrote the book, he was very sick as a child, and because of that, he couldn't hang out with his kids, and he couldn't hang out with his, his fellow friends in school. He had a private tutor that tutored him at home. And because he found himself alone a lot, he became a writer of what we know as Treasure Island. And eventually, one night while he's sick in a fever pitch, he writes a book known as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And as people began to read the book, they said, you know what, there's a version of me that I don't want to admit that does come out at times. 
And I want to propose that one of the themes of the book that I want to develop today as I look at sort of how we live our life is that we all know that there's a version of us that we, that we don't like so much so that we try to hide the hide, don't we? We try and hide the hide. We don't want people to know how insecure we can be, how angry we can be. We don't want people to know how annoyed we get, how impatient we get. We hide the hide. We think we're more valuable than we really are. We think we're the exception to the rules. We think we can do whatever we want. And then when we get found out, we hide it. We try and pretend it's not there. We even try and uh, disguise the hide. I'll give you an example. My wife calls me up this week. Says, hey, I want you to pick up something from Kroger on the way home. I'm really in a rush. I pull over into Kroger. Every one of the... Of the parking lot's full, 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 full. And I'm really trying to, I'm in a hurry. So on my way, I'm like, okay, well, there's no, but all of the handicap spots are open. Now, being a special needs dad, there's not a lot of perks and there's a lot of challenges of being a special needs dad. But one of the perks is that handicap sign that hangs from the rearview mirror. So here's how it goes. Now, I'm not the kind of person who would take a handicap spot. Or am I? I really am in a hurry. And after all, there's not a lot of perks of being a special needs dad. This is one of the perks. For all the things I put up with, all the things I'm challenged by, I think I could engage in this. And by the way, it's not like I'm taking all the spots. There's plenty open. They're not using them anyway. So I pull up to the very front spot. Oh, it feels awesome. And I get out and people look at me. And and, and I even sort of do this for a second. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's wrong with me? But okay, so I, go, I rush in, I get my stuff, you know, suddenly I'm sprinting, you know, I got all my stuff, I run back up, as I'm coming out the Kroger door, I'm heading toward the car, I got 10 feet to get to the car, two people from Horizon, hey Chad, it's good to see you. Hey, <laughs> it's good to see you too, yeah, see you on the, see you to the weekend for church. I get to my car, they're still looking at me. I walk past my car, yeah, I walk back in another car, and another car, yeah, we'll see you in the, then I go back to my car, I got to get back in there. So here it is. I'm not the kind of person who would do that. But then there's the shame, the guilt, the hiding of that version of ourselves, And we all have hundreds of these. And the last thing we'd want to do is have people find out about that version of ourselves, or tell it to 500 people on a Sunday morning. We try to hide the hide. It's interesting because about uh, about nine months ago, I had a young man who uh, asked me to go out to lunch. Went out to lunch with her car ride and he asked me if he could marry my daughter. And three months earlier, I had decided, you know what? He needs to find out what we're really like, and we need to find out what he's really like. So last, about a year ago, I called my daughter up, and I said, hey, if you and your boyfriend drive to Cincinnati, I will pay for all of us to go to Disneyland. But here's the deal. Dad's cheap. We're all staying in one hotel room. (laughs) Mom and I in one bed. You in one bed. We'll put him in a cot at the bottom of my bed. And at the end of those five days... We're going to learn a lot about each other. Because like that last song said, I look good from a distance, but don't get too close. You find out how insecure I am. You find out the dysfunction in my marriage. You find out how impatient I can be, right? We look really good from a distance. And we had such a great time in that week together. So he was finishing up college, and I said, why don't you come live with us this summer? And you're going to find out what we're really made of. We'll find out what you're really made of. At the end of that conversation uh, last uh, June, I gave him permission to ask my daughter, and this week he proposed. And so if you want to harass them, Brandon and Sierra are sitting in the front row here today. And 
What we're going to find out, what Brandon's going to find out as he lives with this summer is, wow, Chad and Beth don't have a perfect marriage. Wow, Chad is not the best dad. Wow, Chad gets angry. Chad gets impatient. Chad can be driven. And we can hide the hide, or the Bible gives us a way that we can bring the hide version of ourselves out with grace, with freedom, with the ability to confess, without having to be so secretive about the insecure version of us, the fearful version of us, how addicted we are to other people's uh, approval or other people's need to, uh, to see us a certain way. So I want to look at three comparisons between this book and the Bible. And the Bible shows us what's wrong with us, what doesn't work to fix it, and the unique solution the Bible offers. The first premise in comparison is this. There's a hide in all of us. And the Bible doesn't use the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde metaphor. It uses the terms old man and new man in Ephesians. I want you to put off your former self, the old man, the Mr. Hyde, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, the lust for power, the lust for pleasure, the lust for other people's attention. And instead, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you may put on the new man. But you put this thing on. It's not already in you. you got to put it on. It comes from someplace else. It was created according to God. This is some other thing that you can put on that deals with both your Hyde and your Jekyll. And it's not fake righteousness where you pretend to be something. It's true righteousness and it's holiness or whole purity, whole patience, whole joy. It's not a put on. So this duality that we all experience, the Bible's been talking about for 2,000 years. Now in his book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I love how he addresses this. He says, It was on the moral side and in my own person that I learned to recognize the thorough and primitive duality of man. I saw that of the two natures that contended in the field of my consciousness, even I could rightly be said to be either, it was only because I was radically both. And from an early date, even before the course of my scientific discoveries had begun to suggest the most naked possibility of such a miracle, I had learned to dwell with pleasure on the thought of separating these two elements, the good version of me and the bad version of me. If each could be housed in separate identities, life would be relieved of all that was unbearable. Because the bad version of myself hates the moral you shouldn't be acting like this. It would be happier being pure evil. And the good version of myself would be free to be good without having these indulgences and temptations to do what's wrong. So he set out to separate these two natures. The old man and the new man. The Dr. Jekyll and the Mr. Hyde. But what's interesting is that many of us really reject this principle. No, there's not a Hyde in me. Oh, there's a hide in my spouse. There's a hide in my son. There's a hide in my mother-in-law. Oh, there's a hide in my cousin. But not me. We really are fundamentally committed to the belief that we're basically good people. And I say this all the time when we're dealing with couples who are heading to marriage. You think you're basically a good person until you get married. And you find out that you are basically a good person as long as you get what you want. But when you don't get what you want, 
That's when you find the high that's in you. You're far more impatient than you realize. You're far more critical than you realize. You're far more unkind than you realize. You're far more driven than you realize. And yet we really do believe that we're basically good people. And yet the evidence all around us suggests otherwise. There's a hide version of us, a duality within us. There was an article several months ago from Facebook. And Facebook confirmed that they observed this very thing. There's 650 employees in London. And their job every day is to delete vile, inappropriate, angry, sexualized, outside of the code of conduct of Facebook tweets. One millennial who worked there said, I didn't have a lot of faith in mankind before I worked here. Now I have none. He said, I cannot believe all cultures, all people of all places, the vile, arrogant, proud, demeaning things that come out of human beings and post it for the world to see. From beheadings, that make many of them leave this room to go weep, to suicide, and they're having to call to help somebody who's in danger. There's a hide in all of us. Interesting, they did a study in a book called Blind Spots. It refers to a study done to see who's most prone to steal. So they decided to go to the local library and see what books are most prone to be stolen. What do you think? What books would be most prone to be stolen? This was a graduate level uh, library with students in, in doing their doctorates, doing their masters, and undergrad. What they concluded and what they found is that the rate at which ethics books were missing from the shelves to the rate of the non-ethics books were 50 to 150% more. So the kind of ethics books only used by masters and graduate level students who are majoring in ethics or philosophy were one and a half times more likely to be stolen. Well, those ethics classes are working out real well, aren't they? There's a hide in all of us. And what we do is we compartmentalize. We, we, the human psyche is so, so protective of trying not to admit it has a hide. It rejects all data that would suggest there's a Mr. Hyde and it tries to prop up its, its, its Dr. Jekyll. Here's an example. Albert Speer. He was the right hand man to Adolf Hitler. If ever there was a man who should admit or see the evidence around him that he's a scoundrel, that he's a hide, it would be him. If you read his writings, not a chance. He referred to himself as Hitler's administrator. I didn't kill anybody. I just scheduled the killings. I didn't hate anybody. I just moved the machinery to make sure there was enough bullets there that day. And by compartmentalizing what he did as I'm just doing my job as an administrator, making business decisions, he was able to compartmentalize all the ethical implications of what he did. If you've never read Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, I'd recommend it. Because you need to understand how broken the human psyche is. Adolf Hitler does not think he's doing anything wrong. He talks about everything he's doing is because he loves his nation. And he wants to love them, help them become the best they can be by creating an Aryan race, the best kind of race. And what's in Adolf Hitler, to be delusional about what's broken in him is what's broken in me. I filter out all the material that suggests there's a hide in me, and I pull every little crumb that suggests how wonderful I am. So there's a hide in all of us. The second comparison is that there is a potion that unleashes Mr. Hyde. But this potion, the way the Bible describes it, is the very last thing you would imagine. 
What do you think is the potion that unleashes the Mr. Hyde? Circumstances, not getting what you want, those are certainly true. But the Bible says the biggest potion that will unleash and reveal the Hyde in you is actually the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, the Law, trying to keep. But sin... The, the Dr. Hyde version, Mr. Hyde version of us, takes opportunity every time you see the commandment. And the commandment, this good commandment, the golden rule, the Ten Commandments, the Bible, the, the, the right thing, the shoulds I should do, those are good. But even when I'm told the right thing to do, it produces in me, what does? Those commandments produce in me all manner of evil. For apart from the law, sin was dead. It settled down. I looked good. But then when I tried to keep the law, I found out how bad I really was. It's like, I don't think I believe that. I'll give you an example. You're walking in a park, having a good time, just enjoying the day. You've got plans of going here. Suddenly you see a sign that says, stay off the grass. I wasn't even thinking of going over there. But who do they think they are? They can tell me what to do. I wonder what they're hiding over there. I wonder why I can't stay in the grass. Now, there was a rebellious spirit in me to begin with, but when the law came and told me, I suddenly, that came out of me. And I hear people all the time say, oh, I keep the golden rule. Really? Really? You give to people the way you give to yourself? Oh, is that the golden rule? You're as merciful to others as you're merciful to yourself? You give other people the benefit of the doubt the way you give to yourself? That's a golden rule? Just try and keep the golden rule for a day. And what you're going to find out by the end of the day is, well, I am far more a Mr. Hyde than I am a Dr. Jekyll. And then you find out when the Bible says, did you know that in God's top ten list, it's actually more like a top thousand list? Because we get a list like, well, at least I'm not a serial killer or a serial rapist. That's why I'm such a good person. That's when you're unkind. That made the list. When you're unloving. When you're impatient. When you're disobedient to your parents. When you're coveting. Try going a day and tell yourself, I'm not going to covet. 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 All day long, what are you doing? Focusing on coveting. The more you focus on not coveting, the more you find yourself obsessed with coveting. And it becomes the potion that unleashes even a darker version of yourself. And again, let me show you how Stevenson says it. This is the moment he first realizes that this potion he drank unleashed the Hyde version of him. The most racking pangs succeeded, a grinding in the bones, deadly nausea, and a horror of the spirit that cannot be exceeded at the hour of death or of birth. Then these agonies began swiftly to subside, and I came to myself as if out of a great sickness. There was something strange in my sensations, something incredibly new, and from its very novelty, incredibly sweet. I felt younger, lighter, happier in body, Within I was conscious of a heady recklessness, a a current of disordered sensual images running like a mill race in my fantasy, a a solution from the bonds of obligation, an unknown but not an innocent freedom of the soul. I knew myself at the first breath of this new life to be more wicked, tenfold more wicked, sold as a slave to my original evil. And the thoughts in that moment braced and delighted me like wine. 
I stretched out my hands, exulting in the freshness of these sensations, and in the act I was suddenly aware that I had lost my stature. He's like, you know, when the Mr. Hyde version came out, I didn't realize how bad it was. It was wicked, tenfold more wicked than I could ever have imagined. More than that, I enjoyed being Mr. Hyde. Moses won't admit it, but when we lose our temper, oh, we maybe feel a little bit bad later. We say, I wish I hadn't drank that potion, wish I hadn't said that. But in the moment, the adrenaline rush of telling somebody off, or a less subtle version of it is, if your Mr. Hyde is being a victim, telling that story again about what so-and-so did to you two years ago, five years, you've told that story a thousand times. And that insecure version of you, that fearful version of you, that Mr. Hyde version of you that comes out, you have told that story to a thousand people and you love telling that story because it just reminds you how you don't have to take responsibility. It reminds you how your unforgiveness is justified. And do you see what he said? He said, I am sold as a slave to my original intent. That verbiage comes right out of the Bible. The Bible says what's really broken in us is that we were slaves to evil. It's not just a choice. It is a choice, but it's more than a choice. Is it a disease? Yes, but that's, it's far worse than that. It's not just a disease because you're responsible for it. It's a disease. It's a choice. It's also a power that comes over you. You're enslaved and you think, no, 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 no. If you just give me a few more chances, I'll jekyll my way out of that hide moment. But every time you try and jekyll your way out of your hide moment, what you find is jekyll becomes hide again. And my, I don't need second chances. I don't need third chances. I'm enslaved to my impatience. I'm enslaved to my anger. I'm enslaved to my, my pettiness. I'm enslaved to my complaining. And the Bible says the only way to be unshackled from both your, your, your Mr. Mr. Hyde and your Dr. Jekyll who tries to justify himself is to re-enslave yourself to something else. To move from being enslaved to sin to being enslaved to God. You're always under something's authority. But there's one thing that you put yourself under his authority and you're freer, you're kinder. You can confess more. You don't have to hide as much. But you've got to make the switch. First, you've got to admit, I'm far worse than I think I am. And I can't jekyll my way out of how bad I've been. And it's in there you start finding freedom. You ever thought about in Good Friday? Like, why in Good Friday, Good Friday's part of your tradition and this particular week of Palm Sunday, why do people reflect on how brutally Jesus was beaten? The crown upon his head the nails upon his wrists, the way his beard was ripped and spit upon, the way he was whipped and chunks coming out of his body from the whips. Why would well-meaning people spend time every year to reflect on that? And why did God, of all the times in history he could have sent his son, why would he send Jesus to die during a time when, when crucifixion was in vogue? Because he wanted us to know he had to die brutally because that's how bad the bad version of us was and is. It's wicked, tenfold more wicked than we can even imagine. But here's where the, the good news comes. Jesus was so beaten on our behalf that when you accept his beating for your hide, 
you can stop beating yourself up. You look at the cross and say, it was sufficient. Now, most of us grew up in the kind of church where we go, yeah, it was kind of sufficient. It took care of original sin, but i got to work now. And what, what we really believe is that Jesus was beaten quite enough. If we could just beat ourselves up. We say things like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know God forgives me, but I could never forgive myself. Which is your way of saying, Jesus' beating wasn't enough. I'm just going to beat myself up for what I did, what I said, and what I didn't do. And you're adding to the beatings. But the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the message of Christianity is you look at the brutality of his beating and you say, in light of what he was beaten on my behalf... He took the beating for the worst of the Chad version of Hyde within me. And that is why the greatest message of the Bible is that you can be separated from your Mr. Hyde. You can become the ultimate Dr. Jekyll. Not based on what you've done for God, but based on what God's done for you. And you can be separated from your Mr. Hyde. Here's the problem with focusing on the commandment. All day long you're saying, I gotta not lust, I gotta not lust, I gotta not complain, I gotta not complain, I gotta not complain, I gotta not covet, I gotta not covet. You can spend a whole week, a whole month, a whole year, and you haven't thought about God once. The whole focus of your life becomes the law. Gotta, 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 should, 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 gotta, 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 didn't, 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 gotta, gotta, more, gotta, gotta, more, didn't, didn't, didn't. And you're trying to, to, to jekyll your way out of your hide moments and you're never going to jekyll your way out of it. Because all you're doing is focusing on the law. But when you shift your focus from the law to God, you still have a sense of what's right and wrong. But you don't lose that. But now it's God. You teach me how to live. God, you produce your righteousness in me because mine is tainted. God, I need your forgiveness for my hide moments. I found another one, God. Thanks for forgiving me for that one. God, here's another version of that. Thank you for extracting the pain. Thank you for extracting the condemnation. Thanks for extracting the poison. I want to give you three applications to understanding the Bible's main message that you can be separated, that God will no longer see you as your Mr. Hyde. He won't even see you as your Dr. Jekyll, because both are a problem. Jekyll is our tendency to try and prove to God we really are good and we're woefully adequate. Dr. Hyde is that version of us that does everything we can to rebel against God's authority in our life. They're both broken. That's why God gives us a brand new identity, a new man given to us by him that separates us from our need to justify ourselves in our good works and on our ability to hide our bad works. It results in three things. Number one, when you get this idea that you can be separated from your Mr. Hyde, number one, you can stop protecting. You see, I hide the hide. I don't want you to know how screwed up I can be. But if I know that I'm separated from that version of me, then when I'm in a conversation with my wife, she says, I think you're doing this. I think you're being driven. I think you're being impatient. What is our tendency to do, right? To get defensive. No, I'm not. I'm not getting defensive. I'm not getting angry. I'm not getting mad. I can't believe you'd say that about me. And what are you doing? You're protecting. It can't be true that I would ever turn into that guy, right? You're protecting. I'm not insensitive. You're just being disrespectful. I'm not angry. You sound angry. I'm not angry. And then we say it this way, you are making me angry. I'll tell you who brings out the hide. It's you. Well, didn't it come out of you though? No, no, no. I was a kind, nice person until you brought this up. When you understand that you can be separated from your hide, regular conversations, 
you can start, when you hear critique, instead of getting defensive, hiding your hide, protecting that version, you say, that might be true. Jesus died for an awful lot of stuff that I did. This might be one of those times. And it creates a little window, a little peek into your psyche to say, huh, let me think about this. Rather than need to defend myself, pretend that I'm better than I am, I'm open to feedback. I'm teachable. Because I'm not protecting. And that is why the old man, the Mr. Hyde, has to be crucified. He has to be killed with Jesus. You have to say, Jesus, when you die, you're dying for my Hyde. And when that happens, he's done away with. Doesn't mean you're not living with the, 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 the reality of it, but God no longer sees you as your Mr. Hyde. You are separated from him. Therefore, you're no longer enslaved to him, to defend him, to protect him. Secondly, not only does it help you with protection, it helps you stop pretending. Now, look what he says. It's a great quote. He says, the only way to deal with Hyde is he's got to die. Right in the middle, there lay the body of a man, sorely contorted and still twitching. They drew near on tiptoe, turned it on the back, and beheld the face of Edward Hyde. He was dressed in clothes far too large for him. Clothes of the doctor's bigness. The cords of his face still moved with a semblance of life. But life was quite gone. And by the crushed fill in his hand and the strong smell of kernels that hung upon the air, Utterson knew that he was looking on the body of a self-destroyer. Commit suicide. We have come too late, he said sternly. Whether to save or punish, Hyde is gone to his account. It only remains for us to find the body of your master. The reason Jesus came to die and to be raised is because we have a version of ourselves that needs to die and be raised with a new identity. We need to die to our Dr. Jekyll, who tries to justify ourselves. And die to our Mr. Hyde, and we try to pretend we're not as bad as we are. When we admit both, we find something better than either. We're far more jekyll in God's righteousness than our own. And we're forgiven of shame and guilt and condemnation of all that was in our hide. Which is why one of the most powerful truths that happens is you can be free from perfectionism. See, perfectionism is a way in which you tell yourself, one, I can be perfect. Really? You can be perfect? Now, why are you trying to be perfect? You're trying to out-jekyll your hide. In light of what I did in this little space, in this little spot of reality, I can control this piece, and this little piece is going to be perfect. You can be freed from perfectionism because now, because of what God's done for you at the cross, God sees you as perfect. So you can stop trying so hard to be perfect. He's made you perfect. And now you can respond to, in light of what he's done for me, by making me perfect, based on what he's done, not what I've done, I want to live in gratitude to that. I want to live in alignment to that. Man, I, don't, I no longer have to, I want to. Because if you struggle with perfectionism, you know the problem with perfectionism, right? You feel it. The burden. I've got to be perfect. And you know no matter how much time you spend, you always should have spent a little bit more. And you're driving yourself crazy. You're driving everybody around you crazy. Perfectionism is the attempt to try and out-jekyll your hide. And the Bible says something really powerful here. It says that when you get the newness of the Spirit, 
you stop using the oldness of the letter, the law. You stop trying to do it on your own. And that's what perfectionism is. And every time you try and do it on your own, you drink the potion again of the letter of the law, and it produces even more hide in you. And lastly, you can stop pretending. You can stop pretending that you're better than you really are. You can stop pretending and pushing people away so they don't see how broken you are. Here is the most important verse in the whole Bible that I think most people who've grown up with Christianity have no idea this is the fundamental point. Romans 8.1 There is now, right now, not later when you get to heaven, right now, therefore, no condemnation. When most people think of religion or Christianity, they think, oh, condemn, condemn, condemn. I go to church, big blanket of guilt. I'm covered for another week, sin, sin, sin. Another, another blanket. Because what Jesus did on the cross, there can be now, therefore, no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? You're separated from your hide. You're separated from your need to jekyll yourself. You're a new person. God makes you fully forgiven, fully righteous. That's how he sees you. And now you don't have to pretend you're something you aren't. He goes on in that chapter and says, now nothing can separate you if, you if you believe this message and accept this message. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power. Not, not, not things to come or things that were. As you approach this Easter, would you love to live with no condemnation? Because now you can actually confess that you do stuff wrong because it's not tied to condemnation. You can be more honest, less secrets, more true. You're never surprised to find out how petty you are. Are you surprised to find out how petty you are? Because when you get the main message of the Bible, the reason you're surprised, the reason you defend that version of yourself is because it comes with shame and guilt. But if you could extract the shame and guilt, you could bring that version of you out. I have a friend of mine who's a psychologist. He's pastored thousands of couples, a lot of them in ministry. He said, you know the people who have the biggest... Uh, struggles in their marriage. I said, no, tell me. He said, I'll be sitting in the, in the counseling office. A couple comes in, and they believe, it's a particular denomination, believes that they, once they believe in Jesus, they never do anything wrong again. I said, like, there's a... And he mentioned several denominations. I'm like, wow, how's that work out? He's like, not good. Because that man or that woman's up there preaching, if we really love God, we won't do anything wrong. If you're really a follower, then you don't, you don't have pride. You don't have arrogance. Now that same couple goes home. And they have a disagreement. Who's wrong? The other person. Because you don't do anything wrong because you're a real Christian. Well, the other person can't be wrong because otherwise they're not a real Christian. He said, I sit with couples all the time. And religion didn't help them get freer. Didn't help them get more forgiven. It helped them pretend. And I sit in the counseling office and I've got to untangle them from their, from their bad theology. Because here's the thing about bad theology, bad beliefs. They're not some subcategory out there somewhere. They live in your marriage. They live in your family. And if you can extract condemnation, if you can be separate from your Jekyll and your Hyde, then the beauty of God says you can stop pretending and live a more real and free life. Let's listen to the song together. It's an interesting question right at the end of that song, isn't it? Who are you? You know, if we read the book Jekyll and Hyde, we'd like to say, I'm, I'm Jekyll. We'd like not to admit that I'm Hyde or that there's some mix of both where 
I don't realize how bad I am sometimes or how much I'm trying to use my Jekyll to keep people from seeing my hide. Well, this week, as you go out from Horizon today, and before you hopefully come back next week to celebrate Easter with us, think about this. What Chad just shared with us coming out of the book of Romans is that Jesus knows exactly what your hide looks like, and he didn't turn away. That this Friday, when we remember his death, he went to that cross on behalf of your hide and on behalf of the Jekyll that's not as good as you think he is so that he could give you ultimate righteousness, real life in him. That's what we're going to be back next week to celebrate in six identical Easter services right here at Horizon, two of them Saturday, four more on Sunday. Uh, the kids' Easter egg hunt is also on Saturday. If you don't have tickets to one of those services yet, or if there's a friend who you think, you know what, this person that I care about, we've been talking about this, and they need to know how much Jesus can rescue them from their hide. Not because you go around to your friends and say, hey, you know, you've got a pretty nasty hide yourself, <laughs> but, because, but because you know it for yourself, right? Then please come to the table down by the fireplace. We'll see if we can help you out. If you do have tickets that you're not going to use, either because you're not going to be here or because you realize you don't need as many as you took, would you please bring those back because we'd be able to give those out to other people then as well. So thank you for being here for Plotline today, and we look forward to celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with you again next week. Thanks for being here.